Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. Amen and amen. So this morning, I'm going to do part two of uh, the message I started last week that was supposed to be just a single part message, but there was too much in it to get through, so I got through the first point. Today, we're going to get through the rest of the six points. Um, That was a joke. I mean, I was serious, but it was supposed to be funny. Um, I want to take you back, though, for just a moment and remind you where we started so that you can get the full context. We are answering. I'm answering this question. What do you want from me? What does my church want from me? What is expected? What does it mean for me to be a faithful uh, part of the body of Christ? And so, uh, believe it or not, I have thought for months and even into the years on this very question. And here's part of the reason why I've thought so much about it. Because I realize that we never fully clarify what it means to be a part of the body. We we have not had a succinct, um, easily transferable um, um, proclamation or, or explanation of this is what it means to be a part of the body. To be honest with you, it's been so difficult and I've thought about it so long and so hard because there's so much that we want to put into it. And I'm, I've been trying to whittle it down to the bare minimum. What, what can we say in two minutes in an elevator speech? What can we write on a McDonald's napkin over a cup of coffee to say this is who we are as a church or this is what is expected from each other as the church? And I want to clarify, this is not what the church institution expects of you. This is what you and I expect from each other. Because the church is not an institution. The church is not a legal entity. It is those things, but that is just, that, that's just the... Uh, uh, on paper stuff, the real living organism of the church is that we are a body, we are a family, and by definition, we are not Christians as a solo sport. If you are a Christian who is not connected to the body, you are not a Christian acting in the will and the purpose of God. Amen? How do we know that? Because of the words that the Bible uses to, to, to describe people in the faith. We are Christ followers who are part of a family. We are Christ followers who are part of a body. And I think that God did that by design so that we would recognize that we in ourselves are not enough. And actually, it started way back in the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve together and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I'm going to join you together and the two of you will become one flesh and you will begin a family. God is about having a home. Or creating a home and a family. That's, that's the kingdom of God. God is the Father. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And we are the family of God. We are the people of God. We are the children of God. And children aren't meant to be alone. And so this morning, I want to start with the, where we started last week. In John 15, chapter five, uh, 15, verse 5 and following. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me... And I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. 
and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's greatest glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'm not going to focus on the fruit because the fruit is a result of our rooting. If you want fruit, you've got to. If you don't root, you won't. You remember that, right? Root equals fruit, period. Fruit without root is not possible. You can have faux fruit, that's F-A-U-X. You can have fake fruit, you can have plastic fruit, but you will not have genuine God-ordained fruit if you do not root. That's what God says, right? It's in red, therefore, we, and, and it's, not just, it's not just a little bit of fruit. It's not just, not just tiny pieces of fruit where you get to nibble and pass it on. No, it's much fruit. Now, in, in the Spanish, it's mucho fruit. Muy grande. Mucho grandeo fruit. I mean, it's, it's, that was for Gabo because he listens afterwards for his next Sunday. So, hello, Gabo. So, that, that's our mission, Casa Pastor, in case you don't know. It's much fruit. It, it's all this fruit, so much so that, that you, you don't even know where it came from. And guess what? When God bears much fruit in your life, guess what you get to do with that fruit? You get to eat it. That's right. You do. You get to eat it, but you get... Listen, my wife likes to buy fruit by the bushel. And I'm not, I'm not afraid of that because we are a fruit-eating family. I have one particular child who will eat an entire bag of apples every single day. Now, I won't mention her name, Hannah, but if I were... I mean, she'll come home for the store for like two days worth of, of apples, and it's two bags, two five-pound bags. But the thing about buying fruit by the bushel, like a box of strawberries that we like to get, or a box of oranges, is you look at this ginormous pile of fruit and you go, we're going to need some help. And you know what? Fruit is always better when it's shared. So what kind of fruit is it? Well, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Just one of those would be good, right? If you just got one of those things, would your life be better? Yeah, which one do you want? Love? Yeah. Joy? Yeah. Peace? Patience? Kindness? I mean, all of these things. Here's the cool thing. The fruit of the Spirit is not the fruits of the Spirit. So it's not like God says, okay, I've given you the Spirit, and because you're obedient to the Spirit, I'm going to give you love but not joy. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you, you self-control, but not peace. No, it is an all or nothing kind of a deal. He goes, because you have the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and all of the fruit of the Spirit, because it's one fruit basket. Let's say it that way. You get the fruit basket of the Spirit. All of the love, joy, peace. Now, how much fruit is determined by how much you are yielding to the Spirit. So if you want a basket full of fruit that is overflowing, yield to God's Spirit more. If you want just a little teeny tiny bit of fruit, well, just don't yield as much. Isn't that the way it works? It's directly proportional to how yielding you are to God. So if you want fruit, oh, fruit's over here. If you want fruit, you got a root because the root is where the nutrients come from. The root is where the strength comes from. We too often try to manufacture fruit Without thinking of the root. So what is the root? Okay. Last week I spent the entire message predominantly on the first root. Now remember I, I, I had a three year old draw this for us. Now I, I've, take, I've taken credit for it. But truthfully it was a three year old. Um, 
The, the first root is Sunday morning. Not say Sunday morning, because really what I'm saying is a worship gathering. And I, I showed you the scripture last week that the scripture tells us in Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of, uh, t- together of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing. So literally, all you got to do to start rooting is show up. Just show up consistently. And I was actually testing what the Bible says in Galatians where we're singing songs and hymns and songs to God and to one another. And I was listening to the words that we were singing today. And I was processing through that Galatians chapter 3 passage. I don't know if you did that as well. But did you hear the words? Hold on. I don't remember the rest of it. But it's hold on. That's enough, right? And then the next song that we did, you remember what song that was? Kevin, help me out here. Do you remember what song that was? <laughs> that was like five minutes ago. Say it. This I know. You see the. I mean, all of these songs. As I'm listening to them, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if I'm struggling right now, I'm listening to this and I'm being given life by the people singing next to me. Anybody think that? And I'm thinking to myself, man, I can go at least another day. I can go at least another mile. And, and I can go a little bit more, but at some point I'm going to have to go, you know what, i got to go back to my family and i got to go be encouraged again. I'm out in the world being beat up all week long. i got to go back and i got to be encouraged. So as we're singing these songs, we're actually singing them to God, as the Scripture says, but we're singing them to each other. We're building each other up. There it is right there. Is it a really life I'm living because I don't feel like I deserve it? I mean, that's, that's incredible. So we talked about the need to just show up, root by being consistent, in worship. But the second root is a little bit more vulnerable. See, you can come here today, you can sing and you can pray and you can you can listen and all you can leave and you don't have to be really vulnerable. Now don't get me wrong, it's important and you can and should be vulnerable, but you can pretty much do this without too much risk. The next root, there's a lot more risk in it. That root is the root group or small group. Uh, put that back up here if you will. It's the small group. It's the intentional uh, act of putting yourself in a smaller group of people so you can live life on life, so you can learn each other's quirks. Now, I was telling First Baptist this morning that this is, uh, I've learned from them what it is like to truly want, love one another. Turn to Acts chapter 2. I've learned from them what it's like to truly love one another by having conversations with them over the last 16 years. And and what I've noticed is they all know each other. I mean, they've been worshiping together and in, in, in small group together, some of them for 30 or 40 years, some of them even longer. And so they all know who the crazy uncle is, right? And, 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 and like they're all crazy uncles in some way, just like all of you are the crazy uncle in some way. Amen? Don't, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, Right? I mean, all of us have this, have a quirk or have something about us that is probably irritating to everybody else on the planet. But it's, it's who we are. It's what we do. And here's the thing. In a large group, you don't have to interact with that person. You can stay on the other side, right? In a small group, you actually have to be in the same room with them. And here's the value of that. When you are forced not forced, but when you force yourself to be in relationship with someone who irritates you, it causes you to learn what love is. Amen? You learn to love somebody and you actually start to empathize in a way that, uh, that, that, that brings understanding. So you're going, you know what? 
They're not really a crazy uncle. They just have pain in their life, which is causing that to happen. And you start to... I have a friend. I'm not going to tell you who it is. They're not in the church. It's somebody outside of the church. I have a friend who, when I first met them, they irritated me. Now, I'm probably that friend to some people, but they irritated me, and I just didn't want to have anything to do with them. They were like, just, just something about their personality was rough and raw and... It was like, I really don't need to be friends with you. But I had to be friends with him because I was, I, I was in a circle of people that they came to the circle. Right? I'm trying to be general so nobody can piece it all together. But I, you don't know who I'm talking about, I promise. So, so here's what I learned. I was, I was in interaction with this person on multiple occasions and I kept my distance. Because I just knew they rubbed me the wrong way. But then I started to soften up a little bit to him. And then we had some closer interaction and some conversation. And I found myself just the other day leaving a conversation going, I really like them. I re- they have value to my life. And without them in my life, I would be missing something. And God showed me right there. He said, look. The reason you get into a small group of believers is because it forces you to be outside of yourself and and not choose who to be friends with, but you are putting your life on the edge with people who are not normally in your circle, and I'm going to teach you what it means to truly love and truly be loved. Amen? So, small group, is it biblical? Look at Acts chapter 2. Let's start with verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says this. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, for an evangelist, that's exciting. In one day, there was an increase in the church of 3,000 people. Talk about church growth problems, right? I'd like to have that problem. Let's just kind of... Break it down where you can see it. The city of Gulf Breeze is roughly 6,000 to 6,500 in Gulf Breeze proper. That's how many live here, right? It's, it's somewhere between that, that number. So that's, uh, that's basically from the Three Mile Bridge to uh, Naval Live Oaks from the end of uh, Shoreline right here at the point. And then across 98 back over there, right? That's 6,000 people. So let's say half live on that side of 98 and half live on this side of 98. Essentially, everybody from 98 all the way back to here, everybody today came to faith in Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? Now, could you imagine the difficulties of trying to baptize them? Because they didn't just come to faith in Jesus Christ. They said, yes, I believe. And they walked into the water. So they walked in and they were like, do, 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 do. I mean, could you? How long does it take to baptize three thousand people? So that's massive church growth. But here's what the Bible says, verse forty-two: They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and amazement at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right there, you have root number one and root number two. They met publicly. They met together in the temple courts. That was this gaggle of people. I don't know if people can be a gaggle, but there were a bunch of them. They met in the temple courts publicly, and what they were doing was they were, they were discussing the Scripture in a place where the Scripture was being discussed for years and years and years, but they were missing Jesus. But they were doing it daily. We're just asking for once a week. Now, here's the deal. We have a different tempo of life. Our life would not, would not allow to do that daily. Some countries it would, but our life doesn't allow for that. So we modify the frequency, but we keep the guts of the reason why. So they're meeting together uh, uh, in the temple courts, and then they also broke bread and had fellowship in their homes. The small groups. Here's the thing. They actually met together every single day in their homes. They shared meals. They had the holy fried chicken regularly. Because the Bible says they broke bread, and everybody knows that you bread chicken and then fry it. And so therefore, what, in the Greek, what it's talking about, it, I'm just saying, if you knew Greek, you'd know that that was true. <laughs> That's not really true. I, I lied. But, but I did tell myself to convince myself that. They broke bread. They, they had a meal together. Now, why would they do it in the homes? And, and by the way, nobody has a home big enough for 3,000 people. And it wasn't just 3,000, it was 3,000 in one day. There were already a, perhaps 1,000 believers in Jerusalem. And then every day the Lord was adding, so they were growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Why did they meet in homes and small groups? Because it was the only way that they could do it and actually gather together and start training, uh, start building into each other's lives and start adding to each other's lives. And as they met together in the homes... They learned to love each other. They shared things. They, they sold things and, and nobody had need. And it was this marvelous thing. And here's what God did. God added to their number daily. You want to know why the world has not yet believed. I mean, that's, that's too broad of a statement. One of the reasons that our culture has not yet fully believed the gospel. I think is because we haven't loved each other like they loved each other. I think that the gospel is most hindered not by its own power, but by our love for one another. Why do I say that? I say that because you cannot love each other the way they're loving each other in Acts chapter 2. Unless you're fully yielded to the Spirit of God in your life. It's impossible. You can't love your crazy uncle on your own. Amen? You can't. They're too irritating. But when you yield to God's Spirit in your life, He gives you this supernatural... By the way, one of the in the basket of the fruit of the Spirit is what? What is it? Love. It's love for your crazy uncle. That's, that's how that works. And so, so it's a supernatural ability to, to love each other. And when, when we love each other the way the Bible shows us in Acts chapter 2, God moves mightily. So my question to you is really twofold at this point. Number one, have you committed to being regular in worship? 
even when you don't feel like it. I want to say, yeah, I've had a handful of people this week come back and say, listen, I'm glad you preached that because it's, it's convicted me and I want, to, I want to be more faithful. Matter of fact, pray for us so we'll be more faithful. That is the coolest thing I think I could ever hear because it, it's, 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 it's evidence of God's spirit moving in your life. Um, it's the, uh, the other thing is there's a little bit of anxiety preaching a message like that. Because you go, man, I don't want it to come across too hard. And I certainly don't want it to be legalistic and judgmental. But, but I want to tell the truth of the scripture. And what you did is you confirmed that God was speaking through his word to you. And I thank you for that. The second question I have is this. Is your life connected to other believers in a small group? Have you, have you placed yourself in that vulnerable state of saying... You speak into my life and I will speak into your life. That's a hard thing to do. And to be honest with you, quite, some of the onus is on us. Is that, a, is that the right word? Some of the responsibility is on us as the church leadership. We've got to create those opportunities to do that. We've got, we're, we're trying to do a better job at it. But here's the deal. Engaging in a small group is not easy unless you are an extrovert with no hesitation or reservation. Then for you, piece of cake. But for someone who's introverted, someone who's been hurt, don't, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been hurt by someone else? Have you ever been hurt by someone else in the church and said to yourself, I'm not doing that again. I am not letting them stick a knife into my into my chest. I'm just going to keep a distance. I'm going to hide in the shadows. Listen, God bless you because I know that the pain for that is so real. But don't let the enemy convince you that that is better than vulnerability within a small group. Because it's not. Because the people that show up when you're in the hospital are not the people in the church first. It's the people in your group first. The people who show up when your kid or, or, or who you call because your kids are stuck at school and you're in traffic because there's been a wreck on the bridge. It's the people in your group you call first. When you're when you're violently ill at the house and 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 you just you think you're going to die. It's your small group who shows up with chicken noodle soup and says, here, eat this after you feel better. Right. I mean, that's those are the people you're doing life on life with. Have I said it convincingly enough? I believe being in small group. By the way, Jesus had a small group, didn't he? He sure did. He had 12 disciples he poured his life into, and they poured their life into him as well. See, it went both ways. They were an encouragement to him, and he was an encouragement to them. I think Jesus probably added a little more to their life. but So that's the second route. Here's the third route. It's the route of a personal walk. Now, in your worship guide... On the inside, there's a live and share verse. I'm not sure if we went over that today. I think, I think we didn't. But that live and share verse says this, Luke 5, 16. says, but Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I love this verse. This verse has given me such, such hope and such... Um... Let me tell you why I love this verse. Number one... Because if anybody didn't need to get alone with God, it would have been Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the Word made flesh, right? He, he's, he's, he's the Son of God. He was, he was born of God. He knows God. And so why would Jesus need to be alone with God? I think there's two reasons. Number one, I think he wanted to demonstrate his need for relationship 
by giving us a model for our need for a relationship. Does that make sense? I think he was saying to us, look, if I need to get alone with my father, you need to get alone with your father. I think that was the, that was the, the first reason. The second reason, I believe, is this. I believe that he genuinely loved his father to the degree that he couldn't stand to be away from him for too long. Even though there was a pray without ceasing kind of thing going on, there were these times when Jesus said, you know what, crowd, I've just got to get away from you, and I've just got to get away with my father. I've got to, I've got to if you can say it this way, I've got to sit with my dad. Picture it, you and your dad are going fishing. You're just, you're, you're, if, 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 you're a, if you're a daughter, you're, you're sitting on your daddy's lap and just, just, just talking. It's this, it's this intimacy and it's this relationship. And what I love about this passage is this. It does not say, and Jesus every day got alone by himself and prayed. To me, that just dropped the weight off. Because here's what happens when you grow up in a Southern Baptist church. You are told and taught you got to have a quiet time. Now, how many of y'all have ever been taught that in your life? Let me see your hand. Just raise them really, really high. Okay. All right, put them down. Now, let's be honest here. This little vulnerability, right? I said you didn't have to be vulnerable in a big group. Well, let's do it right now. How many of you have ever felt guilty because you went to bed without having a quiet time? Let me see your hand. Raise them high. Raise them high. Yeah. How many of you know that that's not God's intention for you? Now, I'm not saying that, that if we go days and days and days, but I'm saying it's, God's not... The design of this is not so that you go, oh, I've got to have a quiet time. Let's, let's do it. Okay. Okay. Does that count? Okay. Okay. I mean, that's like, that's like schizophrenia. That's not relationship. That's law. That's, that's, that, that's obligation. Jesus often, often, he did it a lot, but not necessarily every single day. He often withdrew by himself. To pray, to spend time with his father. And what that does for me is that says, look, quiet time is not about an act. It's about a relationship. It's about a conversation. And it doesn't have a set look that if you don't look like this, you're not doing a real bona fide Bible inspired Jesus uh, loving quiet time. Your quiet time might be sitting alone in a closet with the lights off, just just meditating on a song. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, that might be that might be a quiet time one day. Or it might be that that you go out to your car and you sit in a McDonald's parking lot with the air running and you open your Bible and you're just reading scripture. Or it might be that you get on your riding lawnmower and drive circles around your yard and let the the blades and the engine drown out all the other noise in your head and you just talk to God. Say, God, I don't. I don't quite get what's going on in my life. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? We've made quiet time a chore, but it's not a chore. It's a relationship. It's an opportunity to to, to be in the presence of the Father. And here's the thing. There are times when I go to bed without a quiet time, and I'm tempted to feel guilty until I realize, hey, God has been with me all day today. I've conversed with him today. I haven't gotten away in a quiet place, but frankly, I haven't had an opportunity to. Last week, I spent 18 hours working in my attic. No joke. 18. You say, well, how's that possible? Because I started at 8 in the morning and I ended at 2 a.m. I went to bed that day without a quiet time. 
As I laid in bed, I started thinking to myself, I didn't have a quiet time today. I'm glad it's awful. You know what? I was too tired. There shouldn't be guilt over that. Y'all following me here? Now, don't take this as license and liberty to just skip haphazardly. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we've got to move out of the, out of the obligation mode and into the joy relationship mode. It's got to become something that is person to person. Father, child. Not follow the rules. Jesus often withdrew by himself to a lonely place. That, that, that phrase, lonely place, means he got away from people, he got away from noise, he got away from distraction. Now, if you've ever gone on a mission trip, you know that some mission trips, this is impossible. If you've ever gone to India, you know that an India mission trip, it's not really possible to get away to a lonely place because there's like 1.3 billion people in India. You can't go anywhere by yourself. Brent, do you, do, I don't, do you remember struggling with this? I'm sitting here going, man, I'm so exhausted. I'm tired because we just flew for 42 hours. But I got to have a quiet time. So I'll go find a quiet place. Nope, there's people here. Nope, there's people here. Nope, there's people here. I mean, it was horrible. And then God said, look, you got it all wrong. In order to, in order to fruit, you've got to root. And the rooting is very simple. Spend time worshiping with your church family. Now, I say weekly. Really, really, it's, it's regular is what it is. Do not uh, uh, give up the habit of meeting together. And, and so what he's saying is this. He's saying don't be legalistic about it, but regular. That's a discipline. And then b- being together in, in, a, in a small group, again, it, it's, it's a regular. It's, it's a relational thing. It's a, uh, I can't come every four weeks and then be upset because they didn't check on me. Ooh. Ooh, did I just get a little too close? Here, let's just let's just open up the doors, okay? We get pretty offended when the church doesn't act like we think the church should act, but here's the deal. What if the church simply reciprocated the commitment to you that you have given to them? Would they be present or would they not be present? I'm not being ugly and I'm not being condemning. I'm simply asking an honest question. We look at these things and we go, well, how come you treated that person with such grace and kindness and you were right there and you helped them so quickly and and there was all these people just rushing in to help, but when I needed help, you didn't come. I'll tell you why. The difference is the amount of time that the people have spent together because it's relationship, relationship, relationship. Is this true or not true? So the expectation of relationship has got to be preceded by the actual investment in relationship. Here's what I know because I've seen it and it's never failed me. I know that if you commit to relationships with your fellow believer, you will not be forgotten. It's impossible because they love you. And there's nothing more powerful than love. There is nothing more powerful. You will trek mountains and you will cross rivers in your skivvies. Because you love somebody. 
in my mind, what I was picturing was you came to a river and you had all your hiking gear on, but you know that there was needed help on the other side. So you get all that off and you, you get in the ice cold water and you cross over the river and you, you help them because that's what love does. That, just in case you were wondering what I meant by that. That a little, little clearer, right? See, I don't know why y'all can't just read my mind and understand what I'm saying without me having to explain it, but I guess that's the way it works. That was a joke. So relationship. So here's what we want from you. When I say we, here's what we want from each other. We want to be engaged with, in, in worship regularly. We want to be in a small group. Now look, it could be that the worship team is your small group because you're regularly meeting with them. It could be a root group that meets at somebody's house. It could be a ministry group that you're doing ministry together. However that looks, just be engaged with a group of people where it's life on life. You're pouring into them. They're pouring into you. And then third, get alone with God often. Now, I recommend daily, but don't use that as a legalistic thing. Use that as something that is a goal. But be in the habit of pulling away with God, even for just a few moments a day, and saying, God, I'm listening. God, these are your hands. These are your feet. This is your heart. This is your mouth. These are your eyes. So if we root, we will fruit. Say it with me. If we root... We will fruit. Now, here's the cool part. Watch the tree. You root. That's the nutrients, the strength. That's the, that's the grabbing a hole. That's the security, the safety, the bond. But then you've got the trunk. And up when you get up to the fruit part, there are branches that come off. And here's the deal with the branches. The branches hold the leaves, the foliage, which holds the fruit. The fruit doesn't grow on the trunk. Did I get that right? The fruit doesn't grow on the trunk. Here's what you need to know. In order for you to fruit, even though you root, there has to be an outlet for you to fruit. There have to be branches in your life to give you opportunities to fruit. Now, there are two basic branches. It's giving and it's serving. And everything in your life, I think, can be counted in these two branches. If you'll think about this, you'll realize that this is true. One is giving of your possessions, your, your money, your stuff, and the other is giving of yourself. What else do you have? You have nothing else. The only thing you have to give is your money and your stuff and yourself. Yourself is your time, your talents, your, your, uh, your, 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 uh, your spiritual gifts, these things. And so here's what I think happens. We, we come on Sunday morning, and, and, and then we, we, we get engaged in a small group, and then we, we, we start having a personal walk. But if we don't give ourselves an outlet so that all that we're getting from the roots has a way of going out so that fruit can be born, we're only going to be a tree without fruit. So there's this place in Israel called the Dead Sea. The name ought to be telling the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because there's nothing living in it. You can swim in the Dead Sea and not ever have to worry about anything biting your feet. If you, if you get in the Dead Sea and you hear, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because there's nothing living there. The salinity of the Dead Sea, I can't remember exactly, but it's like almost 30% or something. Does anybody recall? It, it's this crazy salinity. In fact... The Dead Sea, if you drink it, will kill you. 
There is so much salt that if you were to consume the water in the Dead Sea, it wouldn't give you life, it would bring you death. You want to know why the Dead Sea is dead? Because the Jordan River from the north flows into it. Now, the Jordan River is a beautiful river. There's lots of life there. The Jordan River has got uh, uh, fish and it's got uh, uh, plants and all this kind of stuff. But as the Jordan River flows down between Jordan and Israel, it flows into this this, uh, uh, body of water that has no outlet. And so all that comes through the Jordan stacks up into the Dead Sea. And it basically, all the life that is coming down dies there. And it's the same way in your, your walk with God. As you've rooted yourself, if you don't give yourself an outlet, then all that you've learned, all that you've got, you stack it in yourself, and it's like going to the buffet. It always goes back to the buffet, doesn't it? it just always... If you've ever gone to the Golden Corral, which I know one or two of you have, don't judge me, don't judge me. You go to the buffet and you see all this food, what happens? You start to pick the stuff that you want and you start to eat. And before long, what, you're what? You're full. And even though there's all this food, you cannot take any more in because you're absolutely full. What if there were a way for you to get all of the taste, yet not have to store all of the, the mass of the food? I know that's not possible, but if that were the case, you could stay there and you could just continue to enjoy without end. I want to tell you that's God's plan for you when it comes to his blessing in your life. I know that was a weird picture, but his plan for you is this. He said, I've got all of this life to pour into you. I've got all of this life prepared for you. And look, don't, I'm not giving rose-colored idea. It's not all life that's fun and games and marvelous and happy. There's some hardship. There's some pain. There's some suffering. There's some persecution in that. But at the end of the day, all of that is together. And God says, look, all of this I've prepared and planned for you, but you can only have as much as you are willing to give away. That's it. The people in this church who are growing and the most satisfied and the most, the most, uh, 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 they have the most stories, they have the most hope, they're the ones who are rooted and who are fruiting because they're growing branches of giving and serving. Amen? Or no? Because they're giving themselves away. Now, when it comes to giving, this is always a sensitive topic to church people. Um, and it might be just in preachers' minds, but here's my position on it. I've changed my mind. I'm convinced that until we get the giving part right, we're going to stunt our growth in every other area of our walk. Here's why. Jesus said where your money is what? There your heart is also. If your money is all yours, guess what? Your heart is all yours. There's no way around that. And, and, and guess what? The scripture tells us in the New Testament over and over and over that the people of God were the most generous people that there were. In fact, there was this one church that in their desperate poverty, they said to Paul, they said, look, if you don't give us a chance to give, we're going to give it anyways. Paul was like, I'm not going to give you a chance to give. You're suffering goods. No, 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 no. We have to give. As a follower of Jesus, that's who we are. Now, I have to tell you, Last week's offering for Story Point Church, half of it, one half of it, 
is going to fix the air conditioner in the family building. One half of it. It's been broken for about a month now. There's one part that is rusted out, and it's over $1,000 to fix. We've been waiting on the part to come in. They're going to fix it tomorrow. And you say, well, I don't want my money used for that. Well, guess what? In that building, our college students meet every Friday night. They've been, they've been looking for a place to meet. They've been going back and forth. But half a dozen to a dozen college students meet every Friday night over there. In that building, we minister every single week to those who are grieving. And we've given life to grieving, uh, uh, mostly senior adults, but some young adults as well. In that building, there's Bible study going on every single week. In that building, just a month ago, we signed documents so that two of our amazingly precious girls, they were adopted by a mom and dad for good. In that building. You say, it's just a building. Yeah, it's just a building. We can do that anywhere. But guess what? All of our buildings are used for the kingdom of God. Can we do it without it? Absolutely we can. But who's going to set up the chairs? Who's going to turn on the lights? Who's going to pack the trailer? Oh, and by the way, when something else is going on in the building that we're renting because we don't have a place of our own, where are we going to meet in that moment? See, it's, it's not very cool to pay for air conditioners, but in our reality, that's what we do. But I want to ask you, what are we going to do as a church when First Baptist is no longer here? Folks, I want to tell you, we cannot survive on what you are giving. Cannot happen. And here's the thing. With the business, you can sell more product. You can create more things. You can do fancy things to get people in. That's not who we are because we're not selling a product. In fact, when you walked in the door, you didn't swipe a card. You didn't buy a ticket. You simply walked in. We don't have a cost. We don't have a set fee. You walked in. It's absolutely free to anybody who comes in, but it's not without cost. And so I want to ask you, are you a part of the body? And if you are, are you giving? You pay for cable. You pay for car insurance. You pay for your kids to go to dance. You pay for them to be in school activities. You pay for your kids to have clothes, you, you pay for them to go to the mall, you go on vacations. We, we pay for everything we want to do. But in this place, there are a whole lot of us who are taking and we're not giving. That's fine. But do not expect that we will be able to remain here if that trend continues. Was that too hard? That's just the truth. Now, here's the thing. God's provided everything we need. I will also tell you that... Hang on just a second. Um... We have cut staff salaries or staff compensation for the, for the total, total staff by almost 
there's a cost. You want to know why? We can't cut nothing else. We, we are as bare bones as you can get. I'm asking you to root and give yourself an opportunity for life. Giving is part of that. Serving is the other part. When you serve, you allow God to use you in ways that He's built you and gifted you to, to be used. Um, I want to close with this. Everything I'm saying to you, I am living in my own life. I tell you that because I don't want you to think that it's just something that we say and not do. In fact, all of our pastors are living what I'm preaching right now. We are gathered in worship. We are, um, we are engaged in a small group. We are engaged in a personal walk. All of us are giving and all of us are serving. Why? Because we've seen God's word for what it is and we go, you know what? There's no way we won't do that. And here's the cool thing. We're not doing it because we're on staff here to do it. This is our life. This is, this is who God made us and created us to be. But I can tell you this. You will not do this and not see fruit. It's impossible. You want to know how I know? Because it's in red. That's how I know. It's in red. And because it's in red, you can take it to the bank. It's awesome. Let me share one little story if I can. I know, I know I'm out of time and I've got to go, but let me share two little stories because I think it illustrates the point. Okay, let me three stories. I'll do two. First story. This morning, um, after our prayer time as a staff, I went over and on my door there was an envelope. And it, ha- it did not have a return address. Now, that always causes fear in the heart of a pastor when you have an envelope on your door without a return address. I know it's the flesh, but still, we've been doing it long enough that it could go either way. Larry, am I right? No return address could be really awesome or really bad, right? So I opened the envelope and I pulled it out and there was a card and it simply said, you are appreciated. Open the card and there was a gift card. And the Lord just, he, he spoke to me and he said, Jeff, I just want to remind you, you cannot outgive and outserve me. I don't have enough time to tell you all of the times where it is impossible and yet God provides a way. If your reasoning for not serving and giving is that you just can't, then you haven't really seen who God is and what He can do. God is God. And your act of faith, He will bless. So the act of serving. So... um, I want to tell you that when you serve, you don't always see the fruit right away. A couple of years ago, I don't know, four or five years ago, Sarah had a burden for some of her friends in school. And she said, hey, can we can we come to the house and can we just talk about the existence of God? She had some friends who claimed to be atheists and she just needed some help talking about that. I said, yeah, sure. So they come over and we buy some pizza and we're having this conversation about the existence of God in my living room around the around the coffee table. And we, 
you know, I don't know, six or eight kids there. We have this conversation. We close up, and they leave. Nobody prayed to receive Christ. There was no lightning or smoke or nothing. It was just like, well, that was, that was fun. That was cool. That was good. Fast forward. This past Wednesday, Shannon had a, a gift card that she got for Christmas to go as a gift. She went to go get her nails done, and it expired on Wednesday, so she said, I better use it. She went. She walked right in and sat down, and the lady came up and started doing her feet, but next to her, there was another person in a chair, and they realized they knew each other, and they started talking, and The woman said to Shannon, do you know that my son knows Jesus because of pizza at your house? She goes, what? She said, yeah, you guys bought bought my son pizza. He was an atheist. But he joined the Marines, and while he was in the Marines, he came came to faith in Christ. And that pizza was the beginning of that search and finding the answer of God. And, and, and as she was rest- re- telling me the story, I'm, I'm, th- I'm sitting here thinking, going, what, what are you talking about? Because to me, it was just a day. And, and then, it, then I was reminded, you know what? If I based my fruit on that day, I would leave that day going, well, it was worth a shot, but nothing came of it. Don't miss this. God is using you in ways you will never see until you stand before Him in the throne. And He says, my child, well done, my good and faithful servant. Look at the people you've impacted for the kingdom of God. You didn't know what you were doing, but I was moving powerfully through you because it's not by your strength and it's not by your works, but it's by my Spirit that I spoke and used you. And I didn't give you that then because I wanted you to remember that it was all about me and not about you. Church, you have the opportunity to fruit like crazy. But it's not going to happen without rooting. Amen? Amen. We're going to close today, and I'm going to invite you to take the next step of obedience. What obedience needs to happen in your life? Do you need to commit to Sunday morning? Do you need to commit to a root group? Do you need to get your your personal walk with Christ back on track? Do you you need to let go of your wallet? A friend of mine told me in a store today, he worked there and we just became friends over the last couple of months. And he said, Jeff, a friend of mine told me, he said, listen, if you want to get a man's attention, get in his wallet. That's true. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you, need to, do you need to serve? Has God given you a way to serve and you just haven't quite done that yet? What is it that you need to do? What's next for you? Will you simply respond in obedience? And if you're here today and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, He is waiting for you to take one simple act of faith and say, Yes, Lord, I will receive you. I confess my sin and I trust you as Lord and as Savior. Will you come to Him today? Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Sword Point Church at Sword